passage of Scripture that is probably the most famous passage in the whole Bible, John chapter 3. So I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible and read along with me. And um, I'm praying that today, you know, we look at this differently. Sometimes we hear these really familiar passages and go, oh yeah, I know what that's about. But um, I'm praying that God will open our eyes to something new. So Open your Bibles up, and I just invite you to keep them open and follow along as we work through this passage, John chapter 3. So New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth gospel, third chapter, starting with the first verse. And my prayer really is that the Lord would be with you. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know, that you have, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into the heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I wanted to start by talking about embarrassing things and recognizing that we all do embarrassing things. And one thing I do a lot is forget. So I forgot my clicker. And now I'm embarrassed to have to go over here and admit that to you. Have you ever done this? Have you ever texted when you're alone in a social situation so that you didn't seem awkward? Anybody you ever text when you're by yourself so you don't, you're not the friendless loner in the room? You're texting? Okay, some of you are lying to me right now. <laughs> According to the research, 80% of us have been in a situation where we felt awkward, so we got out our phones and started to act like we were texting somebody or taking a phone call. Even if our batteries are dead, we do this. Okay, so I'm going to bring up a couple more situations. It'd be nice if you were honest with me, okay? Have you ever waved to someone who wasn't waving at you? Okay, yeah, now, now we're getting there. And for some reason, this is really embarrassing. I talked to several people who are like, oh my gosh, I want to curl up and die when I've done that. You know, you wave, and by the time you realize they're waving at the guy behind you, it's too late. 
And then you have to go into one of these like recovery modes. Like, <laughs> I got a picture of someone doing that. I didn't really wave at you. Okay, have you ever realized you were walking the wrong direction but kept going because you didn't want anyone to know you were walking the wrong direction? Ever do that? Okay, sometimes it's just too late to recover, so you have to, you have to keep going. I was, um, my first time I went to New York City, I decided to go exploring on the subway, and so I went down to the platform, and the train came in. When it came in, it was actually, I was on the wrong platform. It was going uptown, and I wanted to go downtown. I got on the train, went to the next stop, got off the train, went over to the other platform, and then headed the right direction. Okay, have you ever done this? Have you ever fallen asleep on top of a pile of clothes on your bed because you were too tired to move them? It doesn't necessarily have to be clothes. It can be your laptop. It can be your toys. It can be anything. Yeah, sometimes we're too tired. And this one actually comes with consequences because then when we wake up and walk out into the room, everybody knows we fell asleep on something because we got the imprint on our face. I came across this picture. This girl had enough strength to clear the toys off the shelf, but then couldn't make it to the bedroom, I guess. Okay, have you ever fallen trying to reach for something you were too lazy to get up and grab? And in case you're not sure exactly what I'm talking about, I have a picture of what that looks like. Ever done that? And I actually talked to one person who will remain nameless in the tech booth who does this on a regular basis, although she says she's never yet fallen, but she's young, so... Life can be embarrassing sometimes. And of course, these simple things may or may not be embarrassing to you. Maybe you can just shrug them off. But you might be interested to know there's research that's been done on um, shame and secrets. And this research discovered that three out of five of all of us have some secret that we're too ashamed to tell other people. So look down your row. You've got six people in your row. You've got five people in your row. Three of you have some dark secret. Now turn to your neighbor and share your secret. (laughs) No, we're not going to do that. Here are some of the top things that come up on people's shame list, things that they don't want other people to know, things like bad habits and addictions, financial improprieties, hidden relationships, weird phobias, and strange family histories. There's a technical name for these past failures and indiscretions. We call them skeletons in the closet. And I don't know that I've seen any research on this, but I'm guessing that just about everybody has some kind of skeleton in their closet. That if we were to go rummaging through your closet, we would find something that you have stuffed back there because you're ashamed or embarrassed about it. So we find ourselves somewhere on this continuum, maybe, between mild shame and embarrassment and deep shame and disgrace and humiliation. And I want to talk about that based on this passage we just read from John chapter 3, because it seems to me that Nicodemus is somewhere on this spectrum when he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He's coming in secret. There's something that he wants to get off his chest, away from the crowds. And this secret meeting has created a safe place for Nicodemus to reveal this secret. Nicodemus, who's a Jew, a teacher of the Jews, a leader in Israel, a a Pharisee, comes to Jesus at night to confess 
I believe in you. He comes to confess his faith in Jesus. Nicodemus says, I know who you are. I've heard you speak. I've listened to your teaching. I've watched these miraculous deeds that you've performed. I've seen these signs and wonders. And I figured it out. I know you are from God. This is an amazing confession that Nicodemus makes to Jesus. And I wonder how long he has had this confession like a skeleton in his closet. I'm guessing it's probably not too long, but he's still too ashamed to acknowledge this in the light of day. He doesn't want anyone else to know about it. He comes and he says it to Jesus directly. And Jesus welcomes Nicodemus and this fledgling faith, this newfound faith. And he says, uh, you should go deeper. He invites him to go a little bit deeper. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And he introduces something Nicodemus has never thought about. This is brand new to him. He doesn't understand. Be born again? What? Can I go into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And as Jesus is explaining this kind of next step for Nicodemus and his faith, Nicodemus, is, is, his mind is blowing. How can this be, he says. He doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is describing the kind of life in the Spirit, the kind of life that comes you enter in through, a, by the, through the water. It's like a wind blowing. This is all a mystery to Nicodemus. Well, you know the wind when it's blowing. You can see its evidence. You can hear the sound. You can tell what direction it's coming from. But you don't know what caused the wind to blow. This is life in the Spirit. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to go deeper into this life in the Spirit. Life in God's kingdom. And Nicodemus doesn't understand this. He's struggling to understand it because... Jesus is talking about a life that is not earned, it's not achieved, it's a, it's a life you're simply born into. It's a new life that you're given, life in the Spirit, a life beyond human control. And this blows Nicodemus' mind because he's a religious man. He's lived his entire life to this point, and it's all about control. It's all about if I do the right things... If I keep the rules and regulations, if I obey the teachings, then I'll be good enough. Then I'll be accepted. I can control your acceptance of me if I behave properly. This is Nicodemus' frame of mind. And Jesus says, you can't control the wind. You can't control the Spirit. You can't control the work of God. You have to be born again. It means that God takes over and he gives you a life you could never make for yourself. That's what Jesus is talking to him. And this is news to Nicodemus. This is a new way of thinking about it. Shocking, maybe. And maybe shocking to us, even, because sometimes we get into a, maybe a little religious mindset where we say, yeah, if I just do the right thing, if I just obey all of God's teachings, if I'm a good person, well, then God has to bless me. Then maybe I can enter into this life that God wants to give. But Jesus is saying something really different here. He's saying, Nicodemus, you don't need God in your life. You don't need God to come into your life. 
That's backwards. What you need is you need to enter into God's life. And you enter into God's life by being reborn. You're born into it. You start over. It's a whole new life. It blew the mind of Nicodemus. He says, I don't know how to do this. I don't understand. When I was thinking about this season, I wanted to start with a series on Life Is, and we talked about this and staff with our team and with our elders and other leaders. That's what we do around here. We work with teams and we get ideas. And I, I really like this idea of talking about life because we've been talking for a while about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples, how this shapes us. We've actually been working on this for many years in terms of how we live our life as followers of Jesus in this community. And you cannot enter into the life of a disciple without this radical transformation. It just doesn't happen. John 3 reminds us that we don't become disciples by our own power. We don't become disciples by some checklist. We don't become disciples by obeying all the rules. That's not how it works. We are entering into a brand new life that God has given us. We're born into a new life. And this is a mind-blowing truth that comes out of John chapter 3. This is what it means to become a disciple. But I don't think this is actually the most mind-blowing truth in this passage. That comes in the next few verses. Listen to these again. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. To be born of the wind and the Spirit means believing that God loves us. To be born of the wind and the Spirit means to believe that God loves everyone. It means there's no sin, no guilt, no shame, too great to keep us from God's love. It means there is no skeleton in any closet so dark that it could keep God's love from us. And maybe when you're hearing this, you go, yeah, okay, yeah, that's John 3.16. God so loved the world. We all know that. Do we believe it? Do we believe that we don't need to sneak off to meet Jesus? Nobody needs to sneak into the, under the cover of darkness and say, Jesus, I just want to make this little confession. I believe in you. No one has to sneak off under the cover of darkness and go, God, I admit my brokenness. I admit my sin. I admit my failures. No transgression is beyond God's love. No failure is beyond God's love. No sin. I have to admit, sometimes I have trouble believing this. I have trouble believing it for myself. I don't know, maybe you do too, I don't know. Because I have a list of things in my mind and they're too dark and too horrible, too hideous. These are things in my own life 
lust that is so persistent and anger that can become so intense and prejudice that is so baseless and addictions that are so tenacious, they get a grip on me and then I have trouble believing God could love me. And sometimes I have trouble believing it because, you know, when I've crossed the line again, I've failed again, well, maybe this is one too many. Maybe this time God will turn His back on me. Maybe this time God doesn't really love me. And then I read this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This new birth story that Jesus tells is about the power of God's love to make us new, to give us a whole new life, a whole new kind of life. It's not about what we do. We don't give birth to ourselves. We can't earn this. It's about what God does. It's about this gift that he gives to us. Jesus reveals this shocking news that by admitting our deepest, darkest, most shameful behaviors, our deepest, darkest, most shameful attitudes, there's life. And not just a little temporary life, life forever, everlasting life. This is the mind-blowing story of the new birth that shapes us as disciples. It shaped Nicodemus. If you keep following his secret, so after he came to Jesus in the dark this night, he discovered something new. He discovered he didn't need to hide. So a little bit later in the book of John, we read that Nicodemus actually stands up in public against his fellow leaders, and he defends Jesus. He defends Jesus against those who want to judge him. And then we see a little bit later, after Jesus' death on the cross, when all the other disciples have fled, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come forward and they claim the body of Jesus and they prepare it for burial. Nicodemus no longer is intimidated or afraid, living his faith in secret. Nicodemus is born into a new life because he realizes that he is loved by God. This is a, how John talks about this in uh, his little letter, 1 John. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into this world so that we might have life through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that we've done in our relationship with God. That's... I hope you're not sitting there going, yeah, 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 we know that. This truth is mind-blowing. God gave His Son so that we could be loved. God so loved the world. I was surprised while reading through some of the commentaries on John 3 how many of them actually shamed Nicodemus for his weak faith. This guy had to sneak off and come under the 
darkness to meet up with Jesus. And then they actually imagined that Jesus' response to Nicodemus was one of scolding. Like, yeah, if you really would have faith, you wouldn't have had to sneak off and come here. You don't really understand what you're saying. You say you believe, but you don't know what you're talking about. And then he goes on to tell them about being born again and the claim of... So their picture was that Jesus is like wagging his finger at Nicodemus when he comes to confess his faith. And I don't know about you, but I had a little trouble with that interpretation this week because my attention had been riveted to John 3.17. We often stop, I think, one verse short when we stick on John 3.16. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus loves Nicodemus. Jesus wants to help him go deeper in his faith. Jesus loves us. I can't see Jesus wagging his finger at anyone, condemning anyone coming in faith. And I don't know, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part because I don't want to face the wagging finger of Jesus. I'm embarrassed and ashamed to admit that I still struggle with lust. I struggle with objectifying women uh, with porn. I aspire to purity. I have zero, tol- uh, zero tolerance for looking at anything that's inappropriate, inappropriate images. I have a high value to protect my wife and to protect my marriage. And then I stumble. And I wonder, is Jesus wagging his finger at me? Is Jesus done with me? Does God love me? Listen to one more passage that talks about this, Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And maybe I would add, or shame or guilt or sin or diction? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Tim Keller says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the same time, 
We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Do you believe it?